Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, fans, and welcome into the Friday, March the 22nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we take a deep dive into the film of quarterback prospect Dwayne Haskins, five tapes digested on the old All-22 machine. I'll give you my thoughts about the current in vogue quarterback and tell you whether or not Miami should be interested plus a linebacker re-signs with the team, some other prospects visit, and we've got the Twitter mailbag on this Friday show. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and do that and leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think of the show and of the Lockdown family. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins and check out LockdownDolphins.com. We are breaking records every single day this month on the website. So check that out. And of course, last but not least, the other Lockdown Sports fans family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We've got a quarterback prospect to talk about in the Twitter mailbag. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another First news on this Thursday evening as I record the podcast right in the middle of NCAA tournament time is that linebacker Mike Hole re-signs with the team with a one-year deal intact. And I think what this means basically is the Dolphins are prioritizing the core special teamers because Hole was that prior to his injury last year. Now he's not going to give you a lot of work at linebacker, especially in the modern day NFL in terms of speed, run, hit, and cover type of linebackers but he can play special teams and gives you some depth and experience that way as well. So I think he probably slots in behind Kiko Alonso and Chase Allen as the third and fourth type linebackers on the depth chart. And we know they're behind Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan, respectively. We had some draft visits come in over the last couple of days. TCU's LJ Collier, the defensive end. I've talked about him a lot on the podcast, and you'll hear his name on the draft preview podcast coming up in a couple of weeks, as well as Kentucky cornerback Derek Beatty was a visit for the Dolphins on the official 30 draft visits allotted for each NFL team. So those guys are in camp, defensive players, defensive edge, cornerbacks, I'm sure offensive line, and the quarterbacks. We're going to know a lot more about those guys coming up in the next few weeks leading up to the NFL draft on April 25th. It's only five weeks away, guys. We are getting there to the most exciting time of the entire offseason. Let's go ahead and change gears here, though, and talk about the draft and jump into the meat of the episode as we're talking Dwayne Haskins. And I think The reason I wanted to make this a big deal was because I saw people going crazy over his pro day workout, some of the accolades being draped on him by some of the scouts, and they're well-respected scouts as well. Daniel Jeremiah likes him. Bucky Brooks loves him. Lewis Riddick, to me, is the most trusted guy in football, even though he does get things wrong because we all do, but he loves Dwayne Haskins' game and the makeup of Dwayne Haskins, and that's kind of where I start because I tweeted about it on Thursday, talking about his mental makeup and the mental aptitude, the ability to process the defensive coverage pre and post snap the way he works against zone coverage and man coverage alike whether it's leverage against man or the concepts against the zone he just has an innate ability to figure things out in the mental department which is very encouraging from a 22 year old quarterback he'll be 22 a couple of weeks after the draft 
And we talked about it a little bit on yesterday's show, but Chris Greer being there live and in person really kind of gives you an idea as far as what the Dolphins are thinking because Chris Greer typically doesn't go places unless he has a prospect very specifically in mind that he wants to watch in terms of the pro day. And I referenced it on yesterday's podcast that Kevin Dern told me about, I kind of forgot this news, that Raekwon McMillan was a Chris Greer in-person visit at Ohio State. And they really do love these blue blood programs like Ohio State, like Penn State, like Alabama, Clemson. They love drafting from the big time programs because one, those guys are coached very well. And two, those guys play against other NFL talent every single day in practice. So I understand the thinking there. I just hope this front office and this new regime doesn't get too pigeonholed in that thinking. And they are willing to go outside the box in terms of smaller school prospects, because frankly, there's plenty of guys that do come from small schools that can give you big time production in the NFL. Let's go ahead and start though with the mental aspect of Dwayne Haskins game. And I went back and pulled some quotes from Ryan Day, the new head coach at Ohio State University. And he was the offensive coordinator there last year with Dwayne Haskins in house. And one of the things he really talked about with Haskins and the there's an article written up on, let me pull the website real quick. The lantern.com was where these quotes came from, but also the Move the Sticks podcast with Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah. And in the Ryan Day article or interview with The Lantern, he talks about some of the things that Dwayne Haskins did from his previous season in 2017 coming up to 2018 this year and the improvements he made and how it all happened in the offseason and he realized he had to take the next step from a leadership standpoint and he had to get stronger both mentally and physically and identifying protections in front of him and that kind of bled over into the Move the Sticks podcast which was on March 6th if you guys want to check it out but Ryan Day just spoke so glowingly about Dwayne Haskins the man the character and the mental approach to the game that he's so studious and such a big time fan of the classroom and the weight room. And I think that bodes well in two instances. Number one, the Dolphins want a quarterback like that, a guy that just loves being studious and in the classroom. And two, you look at his body composition and what he's kind of how he's built. There's still some baby fat on that guy at 21 years old. So I think that he could grow and develop into that frame even more impressively than he already is because he's a big, big dude. And I think that once he kind of refines those muscles and quick twitch fibers in that way, he could only get better. But going back to some of these quotes from Ryan Day, he says this, so much of Dwayne coming on this year was done leading up to the season, understanding those protections and the defensive structure and how to attack those coverages and how the footwork times up with the progressions. And you certainly can see that on tape. And again, going back to the Dolphins preferences at quarterback, those are things they're going to want to see. Another quote here from that same interview with Bucky Brooks, his innate accuracy is among the best I've ever seen. And I was around Matt Ryan at Boston College. The anticipation and the touch is similar. He has a great feel for what's going on in front of him. He's really embraced the classroom. I thought he did a really good job with that, especially late in the season when he got a lot better, by the way, he just doesn't get rattled and nothing is too big for him. End quote. So you see the those comments and you do go back to the Ryan Day connection at Boston College. Ryan Day was a GA at Boston College when Brian Flores played there so I'm sure there's a good line of communication so the Dolphins are going to get everything they need to know and want to know about Dwayne Haskins in this process. And a couple more quotes here from the Bucky Brooks interview. The question was about 
How will he be able to rise his ability up to the franchise quarterback level, the biggest stage for a quarterback? Ryan Day says, quote, he'll do great. It's not going to happen overnight. Every day I think he'll learn something because you never fail, and that's the approach he has taken. You either win or you learn, and he's done well with that approach. And then one more question was framed this way. What's the thing you love the most about Haskins and what NFL teams will love about him when they dig down deep and meet up with him? And Day responds, quote, his overall spirit. He's been raised the right way. His heart is in the right place. He cares about the people around him and he wants to be great. He will be ready for everything you throw at him. That's the kind of kid that he is. So again, that's where the Dolphins' interest gets peaked in my opinion because in this offense, at least with what the Patriots did with Tom Brady and Chad O'Shea under Josh McDaniels, was they identified matchups. They responded to what the defense showed them and adjusted accordingly and got the football out quickly. And that's where you like Dwayne Haskins' game. And I do believe that he can grow and excel in that area if he's put in the right situation. And coming up on the other side of the podcast here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, I'm going to tell you why maybe that might not be in Miami. We'll do that next. Lockdown Dolphins at Mayfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. I think this song is appropriate to lead us back into segment number two here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, because frankly, I don't know about you guys, most of you are probably down in South Florida, and the weather is always nice, but up here in the Washington area, central Washington to be exact, we just got rid of a huge storm that blew in in February, and now all the snow is finally melting, and spring is here, and the Mariners are 2-0. and Baseball's back. I think everything is looking up in terms of the weather being great and fantastic. Of course, I'll be in Hawaii in two weeks for my wedding, so I think we may have survived the cold front coming in this year, this season, and lasting into the spring, so I'm very excited about that, and I'm also very excited for the NFL draft draft and we're going to get back into Dwayne Haskins and I posted three videos up on my timeline looking at the things that he does well the things he does not do well and where I think he might fit in with this team and you can pretty much pinpoint the exact same strengths and weaknesses throughout the course of the season as I went back to Michigan State early in the year Purdue early in the year up against the Big 12 or Big 10 championship game in Northwestern late in the year and of course the Michigan game and I put this tweet out that instantly got flamed by people and I understand that the box score and the, and the big time performance against a top five defense is nice and you want those things. And I certainly won't discredit him for playing the way he did, but I floated the idea that pretty much all they did in that game was run mesh concepts right over the middle of the field. And what that is, is a front side and a backside drag route. They cross, they get the linebackers in some peril. And then the cornerbacks who can't keep up with KJ Hill, Paris Campbell, and Terry McLaurin, because those guys can all burn at a rate of 4-4 or lower. And they were basically just running amok on the Michigan defense who couldn't keep up. And all Haskins had to do was lay perfect throws out there with not much pressure in his face and wide open receivers. It's not that difficult of a thing to do. And I kind of compared it to what Ryan Tannehill did against the Raiders with those little pop passes on the shovel. And they were long touchdowns that went into his box score and his passer rating. But Dolphins fans denigrated him for those plays. So just keep in mind that those are the things 
NFL teams are not going to care about. They want to see the tight window throws, the high-level complex reads he has to make. And there are examples of that, and he certainly grew in that way. And that's the thing I like most about Dwayne Haskins was I saw growth in that season last year in terms of the way he handled pressure, in terms of the way he moved the defense with his eyes, the subtle ball fakes, the accuracy, and the shots, and the touch he took down the field. It just, there was growth in his game, but there are some serious concerns, and I'll start with the weaknesses there. There's very limited mobility in this guy's game, and the ability to throw against pressure is not quite there. The compromised pockets often alter his mechanics, which he can step away from his throw or change his arm angle and the ball can sail, which leads to the overthrows and the turnovers. There's no change of direction skills in the pocket. If the rush gets around the edge and closes in on him, he's not going to get away from it. He will break tackles from time to time, but for the most part, he's not going to create his own passing lanes. He often gets caught in quick stand, and there is limited ability to step up into the pocket and away from the rush. Now we go back to the strengths. I've talked about it a lot. The advanced processing in terms of mental side of the game. He generates great spin via quality mechanics and torque both stationary and on the move, Ohio State did these things where they'd roll him out and throw deep field out routes, which is a tough throw, especially on the move. But because of the way he generates his hips through the throw, he can put velocity on it and get it there in time. So you can mitigate the rush in that way. But there's also instances where when he alters the arm angle, the ball goes awry on him, much in the way it does with like Drew Locke, for instance, and why I don't trust in his consistency at the college level. He can release the point of release or can change the point of release when he has to, to to maintain accuracy. It's just not consistent. He does have an innate ability to recognize coverage and the routes designed to attack that coverage. He trusts his eyes big time, which I love, and he will play off the defensive leverage against man coverage and plays with anticipation against zone coverage. He has the big time arm and that opens up the entire playbook and forces the defense to cover the entire field. My final word on Dwayne Haskins is the potential for a quality starting quarterback is there. I think he'll only grow and improve with the more football that he sees. If the right team drafts him, and by that I mean a quality offensive line and an innovative play caller, I think he could become a star. But if he goes into a situation with poor pass protection, I don't think he makes it to a second contract. And right now, that's what the Dolphins are. They have probably one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. So if you want to draft this guy... It's not going to happen right away. You probably should sit him on the bench for a year, let him grow and develop and try to rebuild that offensive line. And then if you can get there, I'd be okay with it. But my general consensus takeaway is that I would not, I definitely would not mortgage the future by using more draft picks to go up and get him. I would take him at 13, depending on who's there. I'd prefer to trade back and not do that at 13. But if you take him, have a plan to sit him down for a year, build the offensive line, and then we'll go after it in 2020. That's my Dwayne Haskins take. That's it. That's all. We'll talk about it leading up to the draft. We'll have the quarterback episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast on April the 1st, a Tuesday in a week and a half from now. Let's go ahead and change gears here and jump into your questions via the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with your questions. You get a shout out and the question answered here on the podcast. And our first question comes in from Corey Ashburn. He is at Corey Ashburn PFN on Twitter, longtime friend of the show, also a fellow Northwesterner. So I hope you're enjoying the Mariners 2-0 start as well as I am, Corey. He asks, with huge holes on the offensive line, edge, and needing more secondary pieces, who are some of your favorite day two players, assuming we miss out on Jonathan Abram? And 
I don't know if you mean about everybody or just a secondary, but I'll go ahead and approach it with everybody. On the offensive line, Chris Lindstrom is my top guard on day two if he makes it that far. I also think Nate Davis could be an option out of Charlotte. I think that on the center position, you have Elton Jenkins. You've got Lamont Gilliard out of Georgia, as well as Eric McCoy from Texas A&M. Out on the edge, Charles Amenahu, Chase Winovich, Zach Allen. In the secondary, Rocky Sin could make it there, but I doubt it. I think he goes in the first round. Isaiah Johnson could be a piece for the Dolphins. Chris Boyd from Texas. You've got David Long out of Michigan. Tons of options out there. And Corey, we're going to cover a lot of this stuff in a couple of weeks on the draft podcast, but nonetheless, a great question. And the day two portion of this draft is absolutely loaded, and I cannot wait for that Friday, almost more than the Thursday of the draft for Miami. Next question comes in from Adam. He is at dolphin underscore junkie. Is there a possibility of dropping back not once, but twice in the first round to collect more draft ammo? Absolutely there is. And actually the first time I did a mock draft this draft season, I had them trading back twice with, I think, Minnesota. And then once again with Indianapolis, because I don't think the big jump is really a possibility this year. I I mean, it could be if like Oakland wants to do it or the Colts, but I think Chris Ballard values draft picks too much. And the Raiders are such a wild card that who knows what the hell they're going to do. But I think that moving back a few spots for a prospect like an offensive lineman for the Vikings, if he falls like an Andre Dillard, maybe even Jawan Taylor, that's a good idea. And then move back again, like if DK Metcalf is there, or maybe a quarterback that somebody wants, move back a couple times, pick up more draft picks. We've seen the Seahawks do it time and time again. We've seen the Patriots do it time and time again. And I'm pretty sure Miami will be all in on an idea just like that one. So yes, absolutely. Next question here comes from Troy Medina. He is at TMUD13. When do we go back full-time to retro throwback best uniform? You know, probably never because they they can generate income off both of those two jerseys, the current ones and the throwbacks. And I'm probably very alone on this. I love the new jerseys, especially the remodel they did this year, taking away the blue edge and just keeping it aqua and orange. I think those things are beautiful and they offer a very good alternative to the throwbacks, which also are beautiful. Anytime you get the stripes on the shoulders, I'm all about that. So if they go back to it, I'm for it, but I also like the current jerseys. I just don't think it'll happen anytime soon. We've got a question here from Rock Allen. He is at DuPont594, and he basically asked me if I would trade up for Dwayne Haskins in fewer words than that, or more words than that, I should say. And I kind of covered that in the last segment. I'll just say no, I wouldn't, because I think that there's too much projection and too much room for growth to where I don't really trust that he's there yet. And also, I think the NFL is going in a direction or is already there that you have to be able to mitigate the rush on your own and create your own passing lanes. And those are Haskins' two biggest weaknesses. So that gives me serious pause, even taking him at 13 and definitely trading up for him. Next question here comes in from Melody Mackey. He is at a chamomile. I hope that's how you pronounce that. This isn't a Dolphins question as much as NFL question, but in your opinion, what team is the best defensive team of all time? I think it's hard to go against what that Baltimore Ravens defense offered in the early 2000s and even beyond the Super Bowl title when they had Ed Reed joining Ray Lewis with Tony Siragusa and Sam Adams up front. They were just so nasty on all three levels, could lock you up on the outside, and Ed Reed gives every defense he was ever a part of so much flexibility. And I think for my money, he's the best non-quarterback player of all time, maybe besides Jerry. Rice. So give me anything with Ed Reed on it. Those early Baltimore Ravens 2000s defenses, best of all time, in my opinion. Next question here comes from hashtag tank for Tua. He is at from rags to coins. Hey, love the show. Thank you very much. Do you see the Finns drafting a court or a running back in the first three rounds? I feel as though KD isn't seen as the guy in the organization. And you might be onto something there as far as Kenyon Drake, because 
I don't think we know as much as the Dolphins do in terms of what he is in the locker room, obviously, but I think that maybe he's viewed a little bit more negatively that way. I can't speak personally to it because I've never been around seeing him be negative, but we have seen him get tossed out of games and, and kind of blow up on the sidelines a little bit. I think they could. I think Miles Sanders would be the ideal option there for them there. But as far as any other running backs, I don't love them as much in the first two or three rounds because I think the more value comes later on with like a James Williams, maybe even a Benny Snell out of Kentucky. There's a variety of different backs in this class that I like on day three more than day two. All right, we're going to take a break here and come back on the other side with more questions from you guys via the Twitter mailbag. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. NCAA tournament going on and what a fun time of year that is. I was fortunate enough to not have to go into class day because the professor of both my classes on Thursday was out of the office. So I'm here watching basketball games, watching Dwayne Haskins film, doing all kinds of fun stuff on my Thursday. And the only crazy finish I've seen so far, it's still Thursday evening, so maybe we have more ahead of us, was that New Mexico game versus Auburn where the guy had a wide open layup and kicked it out for the three when he could have tied the game with like six seconds to go. I don't know if you guys saw that finish, but wow, that's why you love Marsh Madness. Crazy finishes. Give me all the mayhem. All right, let's go ahead and jump back into the Twitter mailbag here. Next question comes from Mark Fischler. He is at Fischler Mark. Will the Dolphins under Greer Flores be more or less committed to using analytics in their approach considering the Patriots are the best at utilizing it? That's a fantastic question and one that I can't really say for sure that I know. I do know that they had an analytics department installed back when Mike Tannenbaum got here along with the sports science program and started going more heavily involved into that side of things. And I think that's kind of the approach they're taking with this draft and the idea that the more bites you get at the apple, the more draft picks you have, the better your batting average looks because we have more chances. We get more times to cast our net, so to speak. So 100% think they'll be all about analytics. And that's not to say they'll go out and replace film study and the very valuable aspect that that offers with stuff like analytics. But as far as like their draft approach, certainly I think they'll be all about that department in this new organization, this new regime. Next question here comes from Wiki Meeman. He is at WikiM. Huge fan of the podcast. Great work, fam. Thank you again. Will Devontae Parker ever have a breakout year? Feels like every year is going to be it. I don't think so. I do think that he is somewhat humbled by the new contract he just signed because, frankly, a a first-round player should go out on the open market in year number five and just cash in, which he did not do. He took a very small deal. You go out and look at Devin Funches signing a $10 million contract. That has to be really kind of stuck in his craw. So I think that if we're ever going to see Devontae Parker, it'll be this year because money is on the line and money always talks. I'm not betting on it, but this year is the one that would happen if it is ever going to happen for Devontae Parker. Next question here comes from Alex Vickens. He is at Alex Vicenzo. I know I butchered that man, so I apologize for that. Do you still eat wings and drink beer for 10 a.m. Pacific NFL start times? Nope. I don't like drinking beer when I watch football anyway because I am very in tune to what's going on, and I feel like if I'm not really paying that close of attention, then I get to miss what actually happens in the game. I know that that's not fun for people. (laughs) Like I'm not a fun person to watch games with. And oftentimes I wind up being disappointed when I go to a friend's house to watch games because there's always a conversation that gets sidetracked. And so I just don't ever really do it to begin with, especially not at 10 o'clock in the morning. And especially now that I do the podcast and tweet all game long, it's my priority is getting the job done over, you know, having fun in the way of drinking beer and eating wings. So no, I do not. Definitely not. 
Next question comes from Derek Donhauer at Derek with a couple of C's and a couple of K's. Thoughts on Chase Winovich? He'd be a really solid addition, in my opinion, if he makes it to 48. 100%. Dolphins are going to be very high on him. I'll leave it at that. We have a podcast on the draft coming out in a couple weeks, and Chase Winovich is very much a feature of that episode. Okay, we've got a few more questions here. I'm not going to be able to get to all of them. Let's go ahead and answer this one from Findemonium. He is at Findemonium on Twitter. Say we draft a rookie quarterback. What is Fitzmagic's leash like? One and four start. Do you go to the rookie or let it play out? You decide on the rookie quarterback. Well, if it's Kyler Murray, you start him right away because you went way up to get him. And I think that he will actually have success in his rookie year. I think he's built for success early on. Now, if it's Dwayne Haskins, I would just sit him for an entire year because I want to see him kind of grow and develop more before I put him behind a shaky offensive line. Any other quarterback, I don't think is a starter in this league. So I would just go Fitzpatrick the entire way. So I hope that gives you a complete answer on that question. Next one here comes from, we got a lot of Dwayne Haskins questions. I've already been all over these. Let's go ahead and go with the non-football question. Abel D at Rotomus Bowtie. Has any Pixar movie up Coco Wally ever made you cry? Yeah, the Scar and Mufasa scene in Lion King gets me every single freaking time. Doesn't matter when I watch it, how I watch it, how old I am, I'm going to cry in that scene every single time. Otherwise, not so much. I thought the uh, up scene, the very opening scene was tragic, but it didn't get me quite. So just Lion King. We'll stick with just that one. Next question here. We'll go ahead and make this one the last one. Stu Rim at Stu underscore Rim. Who do you got winning the NCAA tournament? And if you draft Zion Williams in the play for the Dolphins, which position would he play? I would teach Zion pass rushing moves if I could and put him out there at defensive end because that guy is a freaking monster. And I think he could play football if you just coached him up a little bit and got him into the program. As far as who I have winning the tournament, I'm taking Gonzaga. I think it's finally their year. I know that Mark Few, I've actually met him a few times, used to go to the Gonzaga basketball camps when I played high school basketball. And he was such a nice guy and he's been there forever. And that community loves that basketball team and they are stocked this year. I think they have a great chance to run the table. I'm taking Virginia as my runner-up because I think they're going to bounce back from last year's very disappointing loss in the opening round. I got an, I'm going to do one more question here because this guy is a big-time fan of the podcast and always promotes the podcast. One of the listeners of the week, Chris J. Fgrave at CJE or at CJ Fgrave. If the Finns are getting four wins next season, what teams do you see getting less and grabbing picks one, two, and three? The Giants are definitely going to suck hard next year. In that same division, Washington seems to have no idea what is going on in the NFL, and Dan Snyder is so disconnected from the NFL. And I actually heard a report yesterday that Bruce Allen, the Washington GM, didn't even tell Jay Gruden about what they're doing in free agency, and that Jay Gruden learned of the Landon Collins signing via the internet, via the media outlets. So just crazy disconnect there. So Giants, Washington, and for a fourth I think the Cardinals are going to get Kyler Murray, and I think he's good enough to win games by himself, so I won't put him in there, or them in there, rather. And I'll take the Bengals, because I think Zach Taylor is not even close to qualified for the job. Mike Brown continues to prove he's the most clueless owner in all of professional sports, so I'll go with the Bengals, as their talent continues to dwindle over the years, and their big free agent signings were John Miller from Buffalo, a right guard who's not that good, and a right tackle in Bobby Hart, a Bengals incumbent who has been terrible for a long time and they gave him big money. So Bengals, Giants, and a team in Washington. 
Okay, that's going to do it for us on the podcast this week. We have a whole week of new shows next week coming out. And again, to remind you guys, the following week, all those shows are pre-recorded, so we won't have news on them. But as always, the LockedOnDolphins.com page will keep you guys up to date on all of that. And if you have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, just tell it to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull us up immediately. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog page at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.